0: Hi there, I'm Heidi Higgins, and you are listening to K-12, On Learning. Let's face it, sleep is a challenge for most of us. There is so much to do instead. But a good night's sleep makes all the difference in mental health, physical health, performance, and relationships. Children need rested minds to learn, retain, and work through challenges. Today on the episode, we're grateful to have Seattle-based Children's Gentle sleep consultant, Rebecca Mickey, to discuss the nightly battle of bedtime and the reason behind the big emotions it can create. She will suggest how to build a routine to give kids more control over their own sleep and remind us that little ones and teens, and even you and I, can learn to have a healthier sleep routine. Rebecca, Mickey, welcome to the podcast. I so appreciate your time today on a topic that all parents deal with on a daily basis. Will you please share a little bit more about your background and how you came to study sleep?
1: Uh, So I am a Seattle-based children's sleep consultant and author. I work generally with families who have young children, but I do work with families who have older children as well. I am a lover of sleep. I like to think I'm a bit of a connoisseur. I'm very good at it. You know what I really want for kids is for them to feel the same way that I do when I get into bed at the beginning of the night, where it's just that whole, ah, that sort of like that love of it. Um, And that's what I want. That's what I want families to have. And that's what I want children to have. Because at some point it changes of having children who are very, you know, adamant they do not need sleep and they do not want to go to sleep. At some point that does change in our lives. And I want to see when that is and see if we can get that love of sleep happening a little bit earlier. My background is in child development. i worked with families in many different capacities for many, many, many years. And I've solely worked with sleep. For about the last 14 years, I've been working solely with sleep and helping families to gently get a better night's sleep. That means that I'm not a fan of cried out. Cried out isn't a technique that I use. I use much more hands-on, gentle techniques, but I also like to think that I'm pretty realistic when it comes to sleep. So we're not looking at those studies that were done in the 1950s and 60s, looking at what's normal with sleep. I want to be looking at the latest research. And that way we can really sort of get support and help for families and set them up with realistic sleep expectations as well.
0: I like that you're looking at current issues because frankly, society's changed and sleep environment has changed. Yep. And so we <laughs> we need the help with the modern research. And thank you for, for bringing that to us. So what is the benefit of a good night's sleep?
1: I think we all know that, you know, how awful we feel when we don't get a good night's sleep. And then this is as adults, we know how awful we feel after, you know, you've, you've been out with one of the children has been sick or you have a child who doesn't sleep great or for whatever reason, you just didn't sleep great. You know how hard life is and that affects everything. It affects obviously your mood, but it affects the way that you drive. It affects your food choices. And this is us as adults having an understanding of why we are feeling this way. You can imagine being, you know, whether you're three years old or you're 13 years old where when you're 13 years old and when you're three years old, life kind of comes at you fast. And it just makes life so much more difficult when you've not had that good night's sleep. And, you know, life is tough enough. Let's try and at least make that part as easy as possible by getting a good night's sleep.
0: Obviously, there's some long-term consequences, short-term consequences. You mentioned driving, just not Mm -hmm. feeling well. Are there other things that children? Experience during this lack of sleep? Food
1: choices, definitely, because when we are sleep deprived, we need that kind of that quick pick me up. And so your child will, will naturally wants to go to those sugary foods because those are going to give them that instant pickup. But then there's that big, big crash that we know that we get. It's the same as adults as well that we could, that we can get that. So food choices definitely. Learning is hard. Anything is hard. Learning is hard, especially hard when you're tired. You know when you when you're tired and you're trying to balance your checkbook or you're trying to do anything which takes a little bit of brain power it is so much harder to do. And obviously, then this is going to impact your child's life, whether this is a preschooler or a high schooler, with the information that they're able to retain, as well as all relationships and so many other aspects. But learning is a huge part of this. It's so much more difficult when your child is feeling sleep deprived and tired.
0: What is normal sleep? Let's talk about preschoolers first. What's normal sleep for a preschool? What should I expect?
1: So anywhere between 10 and 13 hours of sleep per 24 hours. So with a preschooler, you may still have a preschooler who's napping during the day. Yay, I love naps. I mean, who doesn't love a good nap? And so you may have, your preschooler may be napping during the day. But anywhere between 10 and 13 hours is pretty normal. What you want to do is you want to find out how much sleep is that your child needs and help them get that. But that is sort of the realm of normal for a preschooler is anywhere between about 10 and 13
0: hours per 24 hours. All right. How about as they get a little older, four years old through maybe eight?
1: It's about 10 and a half to about 11 and a half hours per 24 hours. So generally we don't have children who are napping at at this age. And so that will just be nighttime sleep. Now, obviously there are some children who need less and there are some children who will need more than that, but that is the average amount of sleep for that age.
0: Okay. And we're going to talk about how to get them to sleep in a moment. But (laughs) Mm Ages nine through 13. So
1: about nine to
0: 11 hours per 24 hours. Okay. And that that again, here's the age where it starts to get a little complicated (laughs) in my experience. Those teenagers. So we deal with a lot of junior high, high school kids, 13 through 18. What's the average that they should be resting?
1: Anywhere between eight and 10 hours per 24 hours. Wow. How about adults? And uh, it's somewhere between seven and eight hours. But again, everybody has their own requirement of how much they need. Some people, I don't know how they do it, but can survive on five hours sleep a night. And then other people will need nearer to nine, 10 hours a night. And I know you probably know how much sleep is that you need to be able to function well. You know, I know exactly how much I need. I know the time that I need to fall asleep, the time that I need to get up to be able to function well. And it's very, very different to my husband's sleep, how much sleep it is that he needs. I have two teenagers, an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, and they have very, very different sleep needs as well. So it's really working out how much it is that you need and how much it is that your child needs and then enabling them and setting them up for success and enabling them to be able to get that amount of sleep.
0: What is the biggest deterrent... Of sleep before a child is eight years old.
1: So children uh, seem to be, sometimes you feel that children are allergic to going to sleep. They just don't want to do it. And a lot of this is that, honestly, is that fear of missing out. They just don't really want to be going to bed, especially because. We may have older siblings who are staying up and parents who are staying up. And so there's that. I think that is the main reason that children do not want to go to bed. Sometimes as well, we may have had, um, I know this happened to me when I was a child. We may have had that threat of an early night or punishment of going to bed. where Of course, a child is not going to necessarily want to willingly go to bed. If that has been used before, that may also be a little bit of a reason why children are not wanting to go to bed if they have seen that as a punishment
0: before. You use the term sleep train. When do we start and what does that look like?
1: So sleep training is a very uh, loaded word, I think, with the parents. Sleep training often we will think about leaving a child to cry and ignoring a child. But sleep training really is, is teaching a child to sleep more independently. And it's not looking for a child to sleep through the night because as humans, we don't do that. Every single human on the planet wakes during the night. Waking up is completely normal. But we want a child to be more independent during the night so they're not needing help during the night. Depending on the technique that you use depends on when you can start teaching this. Some techniques they're saying as young as four months. I think feel that's far too early. You can start making some positive changes without doing any really big, scary sleep training for about six months. It doesn't stop because as humans, our sleep needs change. And obviously, as children grow and develop, their needs change. And we still want them to continue to be independent. And though you may have had a child who's very willing to go down to sleep, when they get to five or six years old, they may be quite reluctant then to go to sleep. And to have them falling asleep willingly more independently again, you're going to be doing some sleep training. You're going to be teaching them to be falling asleep more independently. And so it can happen at any stage. It can happen even for us as adults. If you really need to be feeling that you need to get your sleep schedule back on track or you want to not be playing with your phone before you go down to bed or you want to not have the TV on as you fall asleep, you're doing some sleep training there. You're teaching yourself to be sleeping a different way. And that in itself is some sleep
0: training. I like that definition. So when you have a child, they're up every few minutes, it seems, in the night. You're exhausted and you just say, just come get in bed with me. Let's talk about the family bed and what happens to many of us. What do you recommend there?
1: So it's a real personal thing as to whether a family bed is going to work for your family. Remember, there's need to be something that's going to work for everybody that's going to be in that bed. And if it works for your family, go for it. It's great as long as you're doing it safely then there, I don't think there is anything to worry about.
0: You'll know when it's time to change. So the most important takeaway from this here is that
1: if everybody is getting better sleep with a family bed, then let, just go for it. The family bed didn't work for me. It worked for everybody else in the family apart from me because I'd be the one just laying there wide awake. And I'm like, why am I the only one here awake? There's, there's something very wrong. So then it just wasn't something that worked, that worked for me. It, I was able to get better sleep as was everybody else. If I could then help my children get back to sleep as they needed it, then I could go to sleep. They were sleeping great. I was sleeping so much better than just laying there wide awake, staring at everybody else sleeping.
0: Rebecca, earlier in your introduction, you mentioned that you were not a fan of the cry-out method for young children and getting them to go back to sleep, but prefer instead a more gentle approach.
1: I'm really not a fan of Cried Out, and it's something that I've really researched into when did this come about and why. Why did this, what what happened? Because obviously, historically, this is not something that we've done. and This is something that is actually, in the grand scheme of the human race, this is something that is new. As far back as I can find it, it's actually a Victorian thing. And we're looking at how children developed. And there was a lot of, you know, wrong science there that, that was happening at that point. That was the era of children should be seen and not heard and very much that the adult says should happen. And there's different variations of cry it out. That first one being the one that I I think it's a book from 1853 that I found, which is the first mention of cry it out suggested that at 6 weeks you put a child into their room, close the door and you leave them there until it is your acceptable wake up time in the morning, regardless of what happens in between. It unfortunately is something that is still used today and that some people will do that. I hopefully not from 6 weeks because that is just unbelievably young. But then there's the other variations of cry it out where you're going in and doing those time checks where that could be some people will do that, that they double the time that they're out of the room. And that means that you're going to be leaving your child whether they're needing help or not. And I think that that is quite harsh thing to do. I'm more of a fan of listening to your child when they're asking for help, going and helping them, regardless of whether that's after three seconds, three minutes or 30 minutes, go and help your child when they need the help. Because this is something that we want our children to know that we are going to be there helping them when they need some support, whether that is when they are three months old or three years old or 13 years old. If my child comes to me during the night because they've had a bad dream or they've suddenly remembered that some homework needed to be done or they've suddenly remembered some conflict that they had with their sibling, then yeah, it's pretty miserable being woken up at 3am to deal with that. But I've done similar things myself as an adult, woken up and then started thinking. And then I suddenly remembered, oh, I've got to write this to the shopping list. And then, oh, my gosh, yeah, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And that's it. Boom. Game over. I'm not going back down. You're not going back down to sleep. But if I can go get through all of these thoughts, go and write that thing on the shopping list that I need to do, write those things down so I remember to do them kind of putting that stuff to bed and then if i'm helping my child do that as well it means then that they're going to be able to get back down to sleep they needed me they needed that help to be managing something which is really normal this is what we're here to do we're here to guide our children and to help and support them that doesn't just stop because the sun goes down this is something that we want to be doing 24 7 and of course it's really miserable at 3 a.m to be doing that but it's actually a good thing that you, what you're doing. The future praises you and thanks you for doing that because you're really setting your child up for understanding that you are going to be there. And that's a really important thing that we want to be teaching our children.
0: We're relationship building. Exactly.
1: And sometimes, especially when you have older children, that's when they want to talk. Is uh, okay. When you're getting ready for bed, that's when they want to talk. And you just kind of have to be like, you have to delay your going to bed because... That sometimes is the only time that you have to connect because they're busy. They're doing their other things during the day. But when they want to connect, you kind of drop everything. After they've talked about something, it's easier for them to sleep because a lot of times they've got that thing off their chest. They're able to think through things and then they're able to sleep a little easier as well. Though now I have their worries and it's probably harder for me to sleep now.
0: <laughs> that I remember and understand completely. <laughs> I, I remember waiting up for children returning home from dates and when they've been out at a game or something like that. Yeah. And they do need to get it off their chest. They do need to verbalize it. Maybe, as you mentioned, to get it out of their mind so that they're calm enough for rest. That's a good thing to consider that relationship building. It's been fun listening to you because it sounds like we just have to watch what the needs are within the family. Everybody's going to have a little different level and maybe one method is not going to work for everybody. So when we have school age children, what are some ideas that we can do to develop a routine so that they will have those regular sleep times?
1: So we want to start, the best place to get started with this is actually when your child wakes up in the morning. And you sort of think more that we need to be looking actually at bedtime, but knowing when your child gets up in the morning is going to help you then determine when bedtime needs to be. So we want that morning time to be somewhat consistent because that then is going to make it easier for your child then to be able to fall asleep. And obviously we want this to be happening, which is happening fairly quickly and with ease. And that does come with just doing this, the same kind of thing every single day. So having an an awake window rather than a real strict awake time. And that's going to, again, that's going to be very different for every single family out there as to what time it is that your child will either naturally wake or what time that they're woken up. So you want to start there and then you want to work actually backwards. How much sleep does your child need? You'll probably have a rough idea of how much that is that they need. So start from the time that they wake in the morning. If you know that they need 10 hours, then you can tell what time their bedtime should be. And when you know what time their bedtime will be, you want to start sort of getting ready for bed about an hour, 45 minutes before that lights out time, before that time that they need to be asleep. So then they've got plenty of time to relax and unwind and then actually fall asleep. Falling asleep shouldn't happen instantly. though. for me, it seems that, you know, the second that my head touches the pillow, boom, I'm out. It should take us between 10 and 20 minutes to fall asleep at the beginning of the night. And that's the same for children as well. So there's that little bit of time just relaxing and unwinding when falling asleep. So take all that into consideration as well. So work backwards. You now know, okay, my child needs to be in bed at this time. If we have this routine, then we need to start that at this time. So you work backwards and then you'll know when you need to be getting started, getting ready for sleep. Now, as humans, we are really our creatures of habit. And we do then like to have this consistency. When it comes to getting ready for bed, even if you don't think that you have a nighttime routine, you probably do. You're probably going to be, you might have a shower every night. Chances are you're going to be washing your face and you're going to be brushing your teeth. You're going to get changed. You may read a little bit in bed. And then even down to the fact that you'll probably lay in the same position as you fall asleep every single night. And if you can't do that, it's hard to fall asleep. So we are creatures of habit and actually having these little routines makes it so much easier for us to fall asleep because even though we're deciding as adults, oh, okay, I'm going to get ready for bed now. So we know our routine. We don't even think about what it is we need to do. We just get on and we move through our routine. The brain then knows, okay, we're doing this. Okay, then we do this. Oh, and then sleep's coming. Then I'm going to be falling asleep. So it actually makes that falling asleep part right at the end so much easier to do. And this is definitely, definitely the case with children. Having a routine, now it doesn't have to be super strict. I like to have a lot of wiggle room with everything because life happens and it just gives us that little bit of freedom. It also then empowers children quite a lot if we're able to give them choices within our routine. So you want to decide with your nighttime routine, What are the things that are non-negotiable? Well, that's probably gonna be brushing teeth. That's something that's non-negotiable. That needs to happen. You need to wash your face. You need to change your clothes. These are things that are non-negotiable, but it doesn't really matter which pajamas you wear. It doesn't matter which toothbrush that you use or which toothpaste that you use. These are then all the things that are negotiable. Then you can have that too. We're going to always, we're gonna read books, doesn't matter which books that we read. We can read the same one every single night. And I'm sure we've all been there where we're reading that same book every single night. You don't even need to be looking at the pages because you know all of the words anyway. The books, there they're negotiable. We're going to always be reading books. Maybe you're going to do those things in the exact same order. And the younger your child is, the more of the benefit that you're going to get from that. Because of that, doing the same thing in the same place in the same order is relaxing because your child knows exactly what's going to be happening next. Then they're able to relax into that routine. Their brain's then knowing that sleep is coming and it makes sleep easier for them when we reach the end of that routine. So that real consistency there. But it doesn't have to be really, really strict because If we can empower a child feeling that they have been in charge of so much of their getting to sleep process, they're going to be more likely to go with it. If everything has been taken out of their hands, which pajamas they're going to wear, which books are going to read, where they're going to sit, what songs are going to sing, what prayers are going to say All of those things have been taken out of their hands. You're going to find that your child is grasping, trying to get control of something. And that's then when we can see them where you feel they're really misbehaving. They're really pushing against this routine that you've got because it's, they're just feeling so out of control. It's even though they know that sleep's coming, they, they love reading books. They love singing the songs. They love doing those things. But if they don't feel in control and they want to feel in control, it's all part of growing up that we start having more control over ourselves and over what we do and over our environment then these are really important things that we start even really young with our children doing this because it's very empowering for them. And it can feel a little bit crazy some nights because you feel out of control. But just think of how in control your child is feeling, even if you feel very out of control, they're feeling in control, Then they're more likely to go through each of these steps. And then They're not fighting. They're not pushing against it. They're going to go through those steps feeling much calmer. And obviously the calmer we are, the easier sleep is. So having a consistent routine, decide what your non-negotiables are, decide what your negotiables are, and then go through that routine.
0: So as we get a little older, we've got some young people who have devices. They have homework, maybe. They have other things that late night work, jobs, those kind of things that do add into the mix. What do you recommend for a teen?
1: So having time to actually unwind and relax is really, really important. So even if there are things going on late, I know we have this tendency to then think, okay, if you're getting home at 10, you should be in bed by 1030. But that's not giving any time to relax. It actually would be more beneficial to have time to unwind and relax before then going to sleep is probably going to be better quality sleep than trying to just kind of rush and get into bed and get to sleep. And you know what it's like when you sort of there thinking, I've got to get to sleep. I've got to get to sleep. It doesn't happen. It really, really doesn't happen when you're counting down. Oh, my gosh, now I've only got so many hours until I've got to be up. Sleep is going to be really hard. And it's definitely the case for teenagers. So actually, then just having a little bit of time to relax and unwind. Devices can most certainly be a little bit problematic. And again, it's what is negotiable and what is not negotiable. Where are your rules with your devices? And remember, you need to have like family rules with devices. You can't be saying to your teenager, you can't have your phone in your room. If you have your phone in your room, you need to have some consistent family rules of what is going to be with, with phones and whether that computers and with tablets and just setting up those rules and deciding, I think, with your teenager what those rules are going to be they've been able to be part of the negotiations, they're more likely to go with it than if it's you telling them that they can't do something. And so talking about the reasons why, why shouldn't we be looking at our phones as we're getting ready for sleep or in the middle of the night? And so looking at the reasons why, I think a great thing to do is asking teenagers to research this, getting them to actually look at it, because we can just be talk, 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 the reasons why you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. If you can get them actually looking at the reasons and the impact that looking at your phone has on the teenage brain before going down to sleep, it's a blue screen. It prevents the production of melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that we want as it induces sleep. So we want to be keeping this. But it's not just the screen time. It's the bombardment of information that we're getting from our little devices. And that is very mentally stimulating, very mentally stimulating. And so you may decide that we're going to, okay, we're going to, you can have your phone as maybe part of your routine, but at this point, then your phone comes out of the room and it needs to charge in the living room somewhere. And that's where all phones are going to charge overnight and sticking with, then you're sticking with those rules, but that means you've got to stick with them as well. And that means you're not going to be sneaking on your phone either. And I know it's like, it's hard now. A lot of us have phones in our room. I have my phone in my room. I, I don't have it next to my bed at all. It is charging far away. But then the reason being is that's the only phone that I have. I don't have a landline. Does anyone have a landline anymore? I don't know if they do. And so and that's the only phone that I have. And so, so that's way that family can get in touch with me if need be. If you have a teen who is using a phone, using a computer, using a device, when it comes to during the night to nighttime, try to get that plan together. And it can be hard to suddenly have a teen who doesn't have their phone suddenly anymore. And so you may decide to start moving it away. Okay, where are we going to gradually weaning a child from their device? That's what I did. That's what I had to do. I was having my phone right next to my bed and I would be reading on my phone, knowing that I shouldn't do it. I'm a sleep consultant, for goodness sake. I know I shouldn't be looking at my phone, but I was doing it. And then I made a conscious choice to not, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. When I get into my bedroom, I am not going to be on my phone at all. I honestly do sleep better for it. For not doing that, I do definitely get better sleep. So, yeah, I think that I think it's really, really tough. It's very, very tough, I think, with devices. Far tougher than before devices. It's just something else that's kind of been, you know, as if parenting a teen isn't hard enough. Now it's kind of like we're throwing this in there as well. And it's just something else that can feel that I've got to manage this. This is something we do need to be managing. But doing this, I think, as a family, setting
0: up those family rules are really, really helpful. Rules need to apply to everyone.
1: Whenever we make changes, change is hard. Change is hard, whether that is with your phone or anything. Change is really, really hard for us and it is going to be tricky to begin with another thing that's really hard i think with phones and with teens is if you are setting up these rules there's always going to be the the family who your teen is friends with who have zero rules who have no rules That's when it's really tricky because there's so-and-so, they don't, they're allowed to have their phone at such and such a time. Why am I not? That's when it gets tricky.
0: It certainly does. And that's where the parenting and the communication and the relationship building really has to take a place there. Rebecca, we mentioned early on that society's changed. Life has changed. There's so much to do now.
1: There's so many other things that we could be doing. We could just keep going 24-7 and then we don't prioritize our sleep. But it is that it, really, when you think about it, our children are spending more than half of their time asleep. And it is something that we should prioritize. It is something that we should make sure that we're doing well because we're doing so much of it.
0: I found a quote that I was, I was kind of curious. It says, there is not one psychiatric illness that is not linked to sleep. Wow.
1: When we're sleep deprived, the same, everything that food choices, everything, the way that we drive, everything is impacted. Children who are sleep deprived show signs that are very similar to children who have ADHD, that especially with the hyperactivity side. And this comes with sleep deprivation. Now you'd think it would be the exact opposite. The more tired we are, the slower we should get it's, you know, that's how I get. I get very slow. My brain gets very slow. Children do the exact opposite. It's as if we give them sort of three espresso shots and five tablespoons of sugar in a can of Red Bull. And they are just the exact opposite. That's when then they struggle to relax and unwind because they are just so hyperactive. And so that can then make sleep really tricky for them to do because they're so tired and it just can then really snowball into uh, something's got to give. We've just got to stop. We've just got to stop this to then be able to get better sleep. But it's that getting that understanding of that. And I'm sure we've all seen this, we often see this with toddlers in that you start getting ready for bed and you think, okay, yeah, we're tired. And then, whoa, what the heck happens? just your child has suddenly got all this energy and they are bouncing around you think hang on a few minutes ago we they were virtually falling asleep as we were reading books and now what the heck happened that's they've got they've got overtired and there's nothing when we get to that overtired stage you just got to burn it off there and just they're trying to get your child down to sleep at that point is not a, a battle that you're going to win and so just let your child burn that off and then get to sleep and then say okay We need to address this because we can't be delaying sleep by an hour each night. Maybe starting a routine a little bit early to try and avoid that. It's hard because we deal with tiredness a certain way and children deal with it the exact opposite way. And it just doesn't really make sense. But hey, sleep never makes sense at all, ever.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. It's a challenge. And that's why we wanted you to come is because we, we need some help. And we need some guidance. And I'm very grateful for your time today. It will make a difference.
1: And don't think that my children sleep perfectly. I say I have an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old. They hate that I have a children's sleep consultant. (laughs) They really, really do. They really hate my job because I'm trying to enforce all of these good things. There is this homework, there's friends, there's football games, there's a bazillion different things, jobs and all sorts that mean that my children are Sometimes sleep deprived, and sometimes we've gone. Oftentimes they're sleep deprived. Both of my children have been in, in public schools, which start at seven fifty, which is just unbelievably early. And I had my eldest did a he was on zero period plus, which was six twenty. He would start, and it was just like I should still be in bed at. Uh, we should all still be in bed. The teacher should still be in bed at six six twenty. We shouldn't be starting school at that time. And so it's just this happens because another thing that happens with teenagers, and I'm sure if you have a teenager, you know this happens. Or if you remember back to being a teenager, you know this happens. Sleep kind of shifts. Their sleep shifts, whereas, you know, we can fall asleep right now. I can fall asleep at 11 o'clock really, really easily. Uh, really, really well. And you may have a preteen or a teenager who's 13, 14, 15, maybe who can fall asleep nice and early. And then something happens that they can't fall asleep early. They can't fall asleep at that time. And it just gets nearer to midnight that they can then, that they're then falling asleep. And this is a normal part of sleep development. This does happen for the majority of teenagers out there. They just can't. They're programmed to not fall asleep until late until about midnight that's when they're programmed to fall asleep sometimes you know obviously there's that little bit earlier some children sometimes it's a little bit later but that's when it's easy for them to fall asleep so if you send them to bed early they're in bed early, they're not falling asleep It's just not happening and we all know how frustrating that is when we're trying to fall asleep and it doesn't happen so, so teens will naturally go down to bed a lot later than we would like them to because that's when they're able to fall asleep now remember, teens need between eight and 10 hours of sleep a night. And if our children are then going down to sleep at midnight and then they need that eight, to 10 hours, that means they should be getting up until eight, 10 o'clock in the morning. That's when they should be naturally getting up. Teenagers are great sleepers. I don't know how long a teenager could sleep for if you just left them. It could be days. Who knows? It could be days. But oftentimes it's because they are so tired because they're trying, there's only so much sleep we can make up. With my senior now who gets up just before six, she's missing out on two hours sleep a night. And so at the end of the week, school week, that's 10 hours of sleep that she's missed. And there's only so much sleep we can make. We can't make up on Saturday, on Friday night, we can't make up sleep that we missed on Monday night or on Sunday night. That's not possible. It's gone. That's gone at that point. We're setting ourselves up, I feel, as a society for continuing with sleep deprivation because it's something that we've done as teens and we did okay. And then as well, you know, when we a lot of people will start work incredibly early. A lot of this is definitely because due to time zones. If you have to be in an office, and you're on the west coast then you probably have meetings with people who are on the east coast you need to be there really really early and so it just can get really tricky but we do we don't we're not really sort of having a starting work at nine or hey i need a little bit of extra sleep so i'm going to be coming into the office at 10 today that's just really kind of like hmm, that would be nice <laughs> not sure that's acceptable and so often we see this especially within the media that Lack of sleep, needing so little sleep is sort of a, of a is a badge of honor that you can survive with just you can survive with just six hours sleep a night and how great that is. You no, know, the badge of honor should be, hey, I got 10 hours sleep last night. That's where you should get the badge. That's the medal, is being consistent and prioritizing your sleep because you're gonna be such a better worker if you are getting all that sleep. School is so much easier when you are better rested. It's easier to learn. It's easier to retain memories. It's easier with relationships with your peers and with your teachers and with your family. It's so much easier when you are better rested. But we seem to be setting ourselves up for failure going right from
0: high school. When they're in our home, our children can be encouraged by a good example when they're in their teens and patience and a routine when they're younger. Yeah, that's exactly right. Rebecca Mickey, thank you so much for your input today. I have learned things and I know that our listeners will do the same. I appreciate your time and your expertise on this topic.
1: You're welcome, it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to K-12 On Learning, sponsored by Stride. To learn more about online public schools powered by Stride K-12, Stride career prep programs that foster lifelong learning, or any of the private school or individual course offerings, please go to stridelearning.com or k12.com. Special thanks to Tree K Studios for providing the music for us. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and feel free to leave us a good review. We hope you'll join us next time for K12 on Learning.